This morning we're looking at Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 24, or as most of us would recognize it, that section on the armor of God. And so we're reaching the end of Ephesians, and for those of you keeping track, this is my last regular sermon, and maybe you haven't been keeping track like I've been keeping track, but it's a a bit of an odd thing. Um, We're finishing up Ephesians today, next week is Easter, the week after that will be my farewell sermon. And no, I haven't even started planning that because I have no idea what I'm preaching on for that yet. I put all my planning into this series on Ephesians. And yet, as we're making this transition, as we follow Christ into what He has for us next, I have to say, I've enjoyed this series on Ephesians. It's something special to walk through this letter together and to dream of what God's doing in us as we read of this radical unity that Paul describes, of this community that is irreversibly joined together in Christ, a people for Jesus, by Jesus, through Jesus, and dedicated to the mission and vision of Jesus. This community that loves as He loves, submits as He submits, uh, has submitted to the Father, and they do not allow themselves to be divided. And so we continue that theme today as Paul brings his letter to a close, first with an encouragement and finally with personal items and a benediction. But that idea that has been so central to this letter so far remains, and is our topic for today, a call to unity. With those things in mind, we turn to the text, Ephesians 6, 10-24 from the ESV. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. Now, There's a lot that is going on in this passage. First and foremost, he starts with this encouragement. He says, uh, 
in verse 10 two important things that I think we need to pay attention to. The first is he says the word finally, which lets us know that the end of his point and the end of the letter is coming. And that should be obvious. We're there at the end of the letter. That's, that's simply where things are. The second point is that if they're going to remain strong, something needs to happen. First and foremost, that that strength needs to be rooted in God. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Not only that, be strong in the strength of His might. Now, there's no simple, uh, sorry, no complication about it. It's actually quite simple. That if they are going to remain strong, it has to happen in Christ through His strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Which is then what leads into this conversation on the armor of God, of that strength which comes from God, which achieves His purposes, and is God's desire for His people. Now, fair warning. I've heard a number of sermons on the armor of God, and for a number of reasons. One is I've heard pastors who will go through and they'll talk about the armor of a Roman soldier and each individual piece and how that interplayed into the armor of a Roman soldier. And to be honest, while that's interesting, I don't know that that's what we want to talk about much today because contextually, Paul is building on this idea of being united with one another, with being united with Christ and remaining strong in that unity. So that armor is interesting, but we're not going to spend too much time on it other than those well, realizing what it is and why it's there. I'm also not going to spend a lot of time this morning talking about cosmic powers, this present darkness, or those spiritual forces of evil. And I'll get to why in just a moment. And I'm also not going to be talking about your personal need to put on the armor of God. And my reasons for those things are, first and foremost, that this armor metaphor is just that. It is a metaphor to help them understand what it is that they need. So what that metaphor is, is not as important as what that metaphor is meant to teach them. Secondly, Paul doesn't go in depth into this darkness or these rulers uh, against these spiritual forces in the heavenly realm other than to use them as an example of why we need God's strength and protection. Very simply, it's an easy thing to be led astray to forget or to let outside forces lead us to cause division and undo what Christ is doing in us. Uh, it says there, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The reality is it's our nature. It is a spiritual thing that is going on. And thirdly, because all of this, it's not a personal thing despite what we might have heard. Everything in this passage and everything leading up to it is saying that this is not simply an individual thing, this is a communal thing. This is a reality that is to be present in the community that God has established for Himself within His body that Christ uh, would continue to not only make us His bride, but might use us to further build His kingdom. So all of this being framed within the community of God's people, we're going to continue on. How does this armor of God apply to the body of Christ? Well, first and foremost, he says that you should put on this armor, these things, this strength from the Lord, that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, we can begin by saying that as we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, that this is not really an issue between people. 
which is something we often forget in the church. We think, I've got a problem with this person, or I've got issues with this person, because in our mind, we think in terms of our relationships. And the difficulty we face is that the devil is an invisible foe. We don't see him. He's not a present reality in most of our lives. He works, as it seems, in the shadows, in those things that we do not see. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, which again, if you look back in Ephesians, is a description of of the ruler of this present world. He says, we struggle against the authorities, which is not to say the authority placed over us in the government, that is another thing entirely, but those authorities, those that have authority over this present world that are leading it on in sin, uh, so on and so forth. He said, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Again, we're not delving in deep, but this is the struggle. It's against those things. It is not a struggle against people. So in the church, when you think about our conflicts with one another, the first thing we need to be able to say is the issue we have should not be with other people. If there's a conflict that we have within the church, it should be with sin. It should be with those sinful things that occur in our relationships. We are not working against one another. It's an easy thing to forget, but if you think about it, everyone in this room, everyone who's a part of the church, everyone who has faith in Christ is on the same team. We're in the same family. We're members of the same body. And the reality is division is far too easy a thing and often our first response But as Paul is telling us here, and as Paul has told us throughout Ephesians, we cannot allow ourselves to lose sight of the goal, which is unity. So first and foremost, we need to put on the armor so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. We also, as we see, uh, it's to stand firm. That's verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Now, one quick aside, that term, the evil day, is simply saying that the day in which we live is one where we celebrate wickedness, where we celebrate sin. Not many of us are going to debate that. Um, From Paul's time to our time, things have not gotten much better in terms of the world simply following God. It doesn't happen. In fact, the more time that goes by, uh, the less we think of God. In fact, I actually saw an interesting statistic today, uh, no, yesterday, that said that within our country, uh, percentages change. We all know about that. Uh, And for a long time, you had evangelicals, Catholics, and others, uh, those those Christian, what do they call it, the Christian majority within the United States. And they found that today... uh, or in our our present time, those numbers have changed. And now there are equal numbers of of Catholics, evangelicals, and those who don't claim any religion at all. Now, that's that's not to give you too many uh, quotes or statistics, but very simply, we live in a culture where it's no longer culturally acceptable or even culturally favorable to say, I follow Christ. In fact, you're, you're found to be far better off if you say, I don't really have a religion. I don't follow a particular faith. I don't fit into a particular box. And so for those of us who do stand in faith, we might find opposition. We might find uh, even a little bit of conflict. But the reminder is there. It's not against people that we're struggling. It's against the sinful realities of this present world in a time that is striving for sin. 
If we're to stand firm, that strength which comes from God, the strength of His might, the armor of God is what helps us to withstand a time that is focused on chasing after sinful things. It is through Christ and His work in us which helps us to keep our eyes on Christ and stand firm. And we need to ask, why is Paul giving us such a firm reminder? It's verse after verse after verse of reminding us to stay strong in the Lord, to lean on His strength, to be changed by the Lord's strength. Why this firm reminder? Well, Matthew 12, 25 says this, Knowing their thoughts, He said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. Now, that in context was Jesus defending against those Pharisees who were accusing Jesus of actually being uh, one of those in the employ of the devil. And he said, look, if I'm casting out demons, that undoes what the devil is doing. So a house divided cannot stand. Abraham Lincoln quoted that same passage when he was referring to the Civil War, that a house divided in two different ways cannot last. And I'm going to say it again this morning. That if we're going to be talking about unity within the church, the reality is that a church that is divided, you can even use that term house, because we are members of the household of God. And what I think Matthew was recording, what Paul is getting at in the same idea, is that if we are divided as the body of Christ, we are ineffective. We are not doing what God has for us. We are not following the design or the call on, his, on our lives that He has for us. We're doing something else. The reality is God is creating something useful and beautiful in us, and He's chosen us for that purpose. He's united us with Himself and with one another and has called us to be united. Anything less than unity is not enough, so we should be strengthened in Christ and do everything to stand firm and united. So, first and foremost, we are to stand firm, to be strong together. The second point, I think, is to grow together. Paul goes on as he describes this need for unity by describing the strength of God, this whole armor of God. And as I mentioned, I'm not going to talk about uh, why we need belts or why we need breastplates or why those specific armor items were given these particular traits. Rather, I think what Paul is doing in this section is reminding those in Ephesus of what he's already said, of the need for these essential things to maintain unity within the church. First he says to put on, or rather, having fastened the belt of truth. Now truth is an interesting thing. Uh, Without it, we wouldn't really know anything. And yet Paul has mentioned that term truth throughout Ephesians. First, Ephesians 1. uh, He mentioned it a few times in Ephesians 4. And here are a few examples of that. He described the word of truth, the gospel, which changed us. He spoke of that encouragement to speak the truth in love as we build up the church. He he mentioned that as we are following Christ, we're to be changed and transformed. He says, as the truth is in Jesus. And then, of course, there's that encouragement to speak truth to your neighbor. Even if we just talk about that idea of truth, there's something about speaking about things the way they are that should be essential in the life of the church. If someone is deceptive, that doesn't build unity. 
It only drives people apart. I can't trust this person. How is it that I can serve alongside them? You can't. There's the breastplate of righteousness, which Paul says, as you fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, that follows right along in that same passage as the belt of truth. That this new self, created after the likeness of God, is in true righteousness and holiness. That this process we're following as we grow together should lead us to pursue righteousness. Not as a means to save us, but as evidence of the fruit that's being developed by Christ's work in us. He describes this readiness that's given by the gospel of peace. And if you want evidence of this idea of peace being built up, you've got a number that Christ is our peace. That as Christ has united us as one man in place of the two, He so made peace. There's another portion where He preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The reality is we would not have peace with God without Christ and we would not have peace with one another without Christ. And yet through Him, there's something that should be developing in us. If you start with truth, if you add to it righteousness, if you go from there, this readiness to preach the gospel because of the effectiveness it has had in our lives as we've been made to have peace with Christ. Now I can go on and talk about the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and believe you me, I have references for each of those. But the reality is what Paul is doing is he's going back and talking about these essential pieces that belong in the church and where he's already described those in greater depth. These are essential things that should be true of us. And the reason being, why would we need truth? Why would we need righteousness? Why would we need to have a shared readiness for the gospel of peace? Why would we need to have a shared faith? Why would we need to have a shared hope in salvation or dependence on the Word of God? Why should we have a shared need to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication? And I think the very simple answer to that is it is Paul's desire, as it is Christ's desire, that we grow in not only those essentials of the faith, but of those essentials for biblical unity. Truth comes from the author of truth, and it shows the fruit of his work in us. Righteousness can only come as a result of Christ's work in us. Readiness to share the gospel of peace is a result of its impact in us. Faith which saves us, unites us. Salvation is our shared hope. Knowledge of Christ through Scripture and the work of the Spirit changes us and leads us forward and prayer is essential as we give to God our attention, our affection, and as we bring to Him those requests we have knowing that He answers us. Paul describes those things as strength which comes from God. As the strength of His might. Those things which are given by Christ to strengthen His church. It's not simply those things we should develop in ourselves because they're good. They are good. But Paul's saying that these things are essential for us. It is what God is doing in us. It is the strength that comes from God to establish and fulfill His purpose for us. 
And so they're essential because they keep us from falling. They're essential because they draw us nearer to Christ. They're essential because they lead us to love one another more, and they are essential for unity as we seek Christ together. Now, there's two things I want to point out in this passage right now. First, as he says, having fastened on the belt, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. When he starts this letter to the Ephesians, he's starting a letter saying, you have faith. He's assuming that you're going to put on all these things because you want what God wants. You want what Christ wants. So that's an assumption. He says, having put on those things. It's the same way when, uh, sorry, when Jesus describes the Great Commission, um, having gone, go and make disciples. You know, we hear go and make disciples. The, the context is having gone, make disciples. It's assuming an action on our behalf because of obedience to Christ. And when he's talking about these essentials of the faith for creating unity, it's because there's something working against us. He describes the schemes of the devil. These rulers, these authorities, these cosmic powers, this present darkness, these spiritual forces of evil. He even talks later about this shield of faith which is useful because it fully extinguishes the flaming darts of the evil one. Now those, I'm not going to get into what those are, but specifically what he's saying is the strength of God's people, the strength of His work in us is unity. And what everything that's working against us would like to see in us is, you guessed it, lack of unity. Because a house divided cannot stand. A house that is working against one another cannot continue forward. If God's people are going to be effective, unity is essential. But we'll see that a little bit more as we move forward. The second half of verse 18, Paul says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. This is not going to be a simple journey. It's not going to be a simple task. Unity is a difficult thing. But he says, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So he says, keep alert, pray for all the saints, and pray even for Paul as he preaches the gospel. I don't think Paul is saying he's not one of those saints, one of those holy ones, one of those who are a member of God's household. But he does something interesting. He recognizes that he needs God to give him words to preach effectively. He recognizes that this is what he ought to do, and he ought to do it boldly. And last, he doesn't promote himself as above others, but as part of the family, part of the body, as one piece in what God is doing. I think that's incredible because you don't see that often today. You get celebrity preachers. You get those who, who often stand out as a pastor. I may not say it as much as I should, but I realize that I play a small part in the kingdom. Specifically, Paul mentions in Ephesians 4 that it's, it's through those who are teaching and equipping the church that the church is then equipped to do the work of ministry. That is the goal of those who serve the church. The reality is, in the work of God, we all lend a hand. Each of us is essential to the plan and mission of Christ. 
We're all part of the body, and as one body, we play a function of the whole. And so what Paul is saying is the whole church must persevere. That the role in praying was vital to Paul's ministry and for the church. That others with gifts were leading in other ministries in their prayer. The prayer of these people supports them. And as we all have different gifts, which when used together, as Paul said, build up the church. He says that in Ephesians 4. He says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So I say it again. We serve together. Let's look at this in the grand scheme of things. Christ, first and foremost, established the church. He did that first on the cross. His Spirit which is at work in us, changes us, and enables us to participate in what God is doing. He gives individuals to equip the church for the work of ministry, and He calls us to strive for that goal, the building and building up of His kingdom, which is the discipleship of new believers, the encouragement, prayer, support, and love of our fellow members of the body of Christ. The reality is every single member plays a role. And unity within the body is vital or it all falls apart. The mission that Christ has called us to is too important for us to fall into division. Now there's a few verses at the end in which Paul uh, is just encouraging. He says, look, I've got this beloved brother who's a member of the family. I've sent him along with my letter to give you encouragement to let you know how we're doing. And at the end, it almost sounds like a a more modern missionary letter. And I think that's something interesting. That in a lot of those missionary letters, especially we've got uh, a number of new materials from the Wilkies, uh, and it says, you are part of this. And for most missionaries, they, they often send out these things that said, would you consider supporting or praying for our ministry? We really want prayer, but we'd also like support if you can give it. The reality is, Paul sees the prayer of the church as being so fruitful and so effective in God's plan for him and for the church that he urges them to pray for him. He urges them to pray for all the saints because the reality is, none of us are in this together. If it was, then he'd say simply pray for yourselves as God wants to use you for something. And he doesn't say that. He says pray for those saints. Pray for me. Continue to pray for those who are serving Christ as we do that together. And the thing is, when we talk about unity in this church, it has its own unique context because we are a Protestant church. And Protestant churches have a hard time focusing as much as we should on the need for unity within the church. You go back along our history. Uh, The free church came out of the Lutheran movement. And the Lutheran movement originally split from the Catholics because Luther had a lot of issues with how the Catholic church was doing things. It wasn't his desire that they split. But his followers said, hey, we're going to do our own thing. So you have the Catholic Church and you have the Lutheran Church. That was one of a number of different schisms and splits that happened throughout history. But that's our particular line, Catholicism to Lutherans. Well, as you all know, we're not Lutherans. But we have a little bit of Lutheran heritage. 
And the reason for that is about 70 years ago, a bunch of Scandinavian churches decided that those uh, Lutheran churches in Denmark, in Sweden, in Norway, these state churches that were controlled from up on high were not how we were supposed to be leading churches. So they divided again. They, they made their own denomination. And as you go throughout our community, there's one denomination after another. And it's this funny thing in small communities. You can have as few as a thousand people and you'll still have uh, almost a dozen churches because for some reason or another, it's an easy thing for us to find ways to divide. If there's a, an issue, uh, first off with the Lutherans and Catholicism, there was an issue with doctrine of specifically not only how we practice faith, but more specifically, uh, it was over how communion plays out. And then as you have those divides later on, we think, oh, communion works even differently than that, or the way we practice our faith looks differently than that. And it's, it's as if we split over the smallest things, not always over these legitimate big conflicts, but sometimes I just I like different music, so I go to a church that plays this sort of music. Or I, I like uh, a little bit more liturgy, so I go to a church that has more liturgy. And if our church isn't willing sometimes to change, then we're just going to split and do our own thing. It's happened again and again and again, and it's, it's sort of commonplace today. And so we've got more churches than you can shake a stick at, and we all find our little niche to fit into and the difficult thing is we have nothing to do with believers who differ from us on any point. And the damage that that's brought is that when those who are seeking Christ come into a church, first question they have is, well, what's different about this church than that church and that church and that church and that church? And then usually we've got our own little list of things that we're quite proud of that make us unique. You know, we're passionate about the Bible. Uh, we're passionate about the Gospel. We... Um, we have one hymn at the beginning of the service, one hymn at the end of the service. That's not necessarily true of us, but sometimes, sometimes we do that. You know, you, each church has their little list of things that make us unique or things that make us special. We're more quick to say what makes us different than what draws us together. Now, that's not to say that there aren't legitimate splits. Uh, if there's an issue of doctrine which affects the gospel and the understanding of the gospel, uh, we're not a part of any sort of fellowship with Jehovah's Witnesses or with Mormons. And the reason for that is not because they're bad people, but because they have specific beliefs about the person and the deity of Jesus that don't line up with an orthodox understanding of Scripture. That's where those lines are drawn. But if you look at certain churches, even within our own community, there are divisions that don't always make sense. And some of that's rooted in tribalism. Certain cultures moved in at a certain time in history and they developed their culture groups based on people they identified with. It's, not, it's actually pretty interesting if you ever want to look into it. But beyond that, there's something that new believers or people who are seeking faith see when they see all of these different churches. And it's like, it's that, look, you people say you believe in this thing, but you all do your own thing and you don't do anything together. What about these Christians? What about that? And it's a big question that we don't always have a good answer for. Now, I've used this example before, but I'm going to use it again because I, I really enjoy it. Uh, there was a belief among medieval Christians that each planet, each object in the heavens was designed by God for a specific purpose. Now, most of us wouldn't argue with that. 
where their view got a little bit different was they believed that each planet in motion played its own note, its own specific musical piece. And each of these heavenly bodies as they were in motion emanating these notes which each uh, had unique to itself when they played together simply by existing in the way that God had designed made beautiful harmony which was praise to God. It was a, a fancy way of explaining that as things do as they were designed by God that it displays His glory. And as it's displaying His glory it shows it to the world and it displays it to God. And I like that idea of music. In fact, um, that idea of the planets and those heavenly beings, as uh, it's referred to in those old texts, um, making music is where you get that line in uh, that hymn, This is My Father's World. Specifically, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres is referring to that sort of idea. That God designs things with a purpose in mind for His glory. Now there's a danger in that. And that's that as Christians, when we allow our sinful nature to get the better of us, something more significant than we realize happens. Discord. Dissonance. Uh, maybe you think of this. Uh, dissonance is this beautiful thing in music uh, that's intentionally set to cause a, a lack of ease. Uh, it's supposed to put us on edge so that when this dissonance is resolved within music, it's this sense of relief, of, of completion as things come together. Uh, it's something that's used and maybe you, you don't know it until you hear it. It's when a chord doesn't fit and it doesn't quite sound right. There's a note or a few notes that don't hit there and it almost sounds like things are competing against each other so that when it resolves, it just comes together. And it's this beautiful moment. And I sang in a choir for a number of years. I played in a band for a number of years. And so uh, that's one of those things that rings with me. So if you want to put that in perspective, if each and every one of us are a note in God's symphony, is it complete harmony or is there dissonance? The big question is, do we strive for unity or are we comfortable with division? Now the reason I bring that up is Paul is describing this call to unity. This need for unity. In fact, the, the complete urgency because of the necessity of unity. When Jesus died on the cross to redeem us, He united us with Himself forever. And according to His wisdom and for His glory, He also chose to unite us together. Those two things are part and parcel. They cannot be divided. We cannot be divided from Christ, and we cannot be divided from one another. If you have one, it doesn't fit. And so he says, uh, that this unity is obvious. And this, this unity is obvious when God's work is evident in us. When we speak truth. When we live in righteousness. When we're eager to share the gospel because of the hope that's in us. When we care for one another. Pray for one another. Or if you want to use one word, love one another. Because the reality is the world around us sees whether we are united or divided. They see whether we care for one another genuinely or superficially, and whether it's the division between churches, the division within our own congregation. People see it, and there's nothing appealing about it. Sin breeds division. Division is not compatible with Christ's design for His church. Christ calls us to unity. He's done the hard work of establishing His body, pursuing us, winning us back, 
continually showing us his unfailing love. His Spirit's already at work in us, helping us to see more clearly what he desires for us. And he asks one simple thing of us, that we embrace and pursue unity. As one, we grow in our love for the one who first loved us. Together, we love one another as Christ loved us. And we make, the dis- we make disciples who do the same. Unity is essential. It is God's design, His desire. And the distinguishing mark of a church devoted to Christ. If you want to find one interesting thing about the armor of God, what you'll find is that each and every one of those items are seeking toward unity. When we speak in truth, it builds up unity. When we live in righteousness, it builds up unity as we do that together. Each thing in that list, in the armor of God, is an item which works toward unity, or when we fail in it, works toward disunity. This call to put on the armor of God is not just be a better Christian. It's be together the people of God. Be united as the people of God. Because there are things that are going to come. There are events that are going to happen. There are temptations that are going to take place. And without being strong in the Lord, we are what Paul describes earlier in Ephesians 4. Like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's not the design of Christ for His church. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As a body, we're going to be doing one of two things, building each other up or tearing each other down, striving for unity or embracing division. The difficulty is only one of those fits with what Christ wants for His church. Only one of those helps us to be effective in sharing the gospel. Unity is essential. Now, as a pastor, it's, it's interesting to, to plan sermons because um, there are certain things that I plan out, certain things that I say on the fly, and certain ways that I see, um, not, not always by design, how we lay out sermons and ideas and themes Uh, in order to fit with the needs of the church. Now, for us, as a congregation, there are decisions coming. The difficult thing as a pastor is realizing that those decisions aren't mine to make. And so where uh, a lot of you are are not quite at yet is where you will be soon and where I am now, realizing that uh, I've entrusted certain people to ask certain questions and make decisions And it's okay that those things aren't happening with uh, my oversight and my leading because it's God that's in control. But we're going to have to make decisions. What is God doing in this church? What does God want for this church? And the reality that I see in Scripture as, as I've been encouraged by reading through Ephesians, as I've been encouraged by studying it, by preaching through it, as I'm seeing these themes of unity that I never saw when I looked at Ephesians before, this not only call for it, but absolute need for it, fits so well for us because in those decisions, if we are divided, 
It leaves us stuck. We can't move forward unless we're one body. If we give in to division, this thing falls apart. If we're not united, this thing falls apart. And the reality is that it means sacrifice on everyone's part. It means submission on everyone's part. But if we see Scripture and we trust it, then what we're told is that God will lead us. That God will see this thing through. That God will use this to bring new people into the kingdom and to build up His body. But we must strive for unity above all else. The reality of what Paul is saying is that this thing that God is doing is too important to give in to our sinful nature. It's too important to give in to temptation or those things in the world around us that will lead us into sin. Unity is essential for the furthering of the gospel and for the building up of the kingdom. It's how people will see whether God is at work in us or whether sin is at work in us. Whether we're obedient to the one who's bringing new life or the one who is in the sons of disobedience. So that encouragement is to be united, to be unified, and to strive for the unity of the Spirit that comes through the Gospel of peace. Paul ends in verse 23 and 24 with this. Peace be to the brothers. That would be brothers and sisters, those members of God's household. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Do not let the love of Christ become corrupted in us by giving in to division by giving in to those things which would divide, separate, and cause what God is doing to fail. Let's trust in Him and fight for unity.